before I came up to preach. So, as, uh, so I avoided it. I was um, praying and quoting the office in my head. I'm just going to be honest because we're all human, right? I, I hope it's okay for me to say. I was praying too, though, um, but what I was unprepared for that I'd be able to hear my mom sniffling, and so I was like, was kind of messing with my head a little bit, you know, um, but I have wanted to preach the word of God since I was a little girl. So there was, there's something so beautiful and poetic about um, getting to stand before you this morning and preach the word for the first time uh, from this stage. So um, it's an honor and it's a blessing, and so um, I couldn't watch the video. But it's really good. I watched it beforehand, just <laughs> not today. <laughs> um, well, good morning. I'm Pastor Jamie. I, am, uh, I have the privilege of being the next-gen pastor here at Life Church Fishers. That means I'm responsible for um, birth through high school and all the uh, exceptional volunteers that serve um, our kids. Um, it's just, just an honor to work with them. Uh, I've, my husband and I have been here for 10 years a decade. Um, and so I think back of all of the different hats that I've worn here, the different things I've been a part of. Um, I've served on the hospitality team. I've served in kids ministry. Um, I've served on women's committee and planned events. I've been to countless um, uh, programs and um, and I have drank hundreds of cups of coffee here. <laughs> um, but but beyond the things that I've just done are the memories I've collected with the amazing people who sit in these seats. Like, you guys are incredible people. It's such an honor to do life with you and, and to have been able to walk through life's joys and life's sorrows with you. Um, it's just such an incredible privilege. As you can tell, I'm a bit of a sentimentalist, which is why I don't watch videos like that before I do anything. Um, but I, I love memories. I think memories are so incredibly powerful. This past week, my family and I had the incredible, um, just had an incredible time in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It's one of my favorite places in the whole world. Um, I brought home just a little taste for you. Just to, we live in such a man-made, society right now, that to just be surrounded by what God made is just so, like, therapeutic. It's just like a breath. Um, and I took hundreds of pictures. If you're friends with me on Facebook, I am sorry. I did post hundreds of them. I'm always afraid if I lose my phone, you know, then those memories are gone, so I just upload them as they go. Um, but, uh, one place that we went to eat was uh, Paula Deen's. Has anyone ever been to a Paula Deen's? Y'all. Okay. When you go into Paula Deen's, I need you to understand, this was not my original intro, right? And the Lord woke me up this morning and said, this is what you're going to say. And I'm like, no, but no, I don't want to talk about that. And he's like, you, no, you're going to do what I say. And I'm like, okay. So, um, so he reminded me that when you go into Paula Deen's, you, you get these amazing rolls. They're like cheddar biscuits and they're so incredible. Now, if you're on Weight Watchers and you go to look up Paula Deen's, it's not on there. It just, you open it up and it's just like, <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs> no. No. So um, I, I measured those points with my heart. And um, so... <laughs> 
Just saying. So this morning is a little bit like that role. I can't possibly give you the fullness of the meal that this scripture is. It's just, it's too rich. It's too much to feast on in the time that we've got. So I'm going to give you a portion of it, um, and then I'm just going to entrust that that appetizer is just going to be enough to really make you want to eat the rest of that meal, to go home, to get in God's word, to study. Um, this message is really um, about the anointing, but it's also a tale of two Davids, right? And so um, I am going to walk with you. We're going to be in 2 Samuel, back in 2 Samuel today, chapter 5. We're going to walk through verses 1 through 17. Um, I'm going to take you as far as verse 10, and then we're going to do something fun. The other thing that I love about the pictures, I've got one more picture up there. Will you show that one too? I know. <laughs> this is a shameless plug of my granddaughter. She's so sweet. My, my youngest daughter. Um, you guys, we measure our lives in moments. We measure our lives. You know, I love to pull out my boxes of photos or, or flip through my scrapbooks. Or, okay, let's just be honest. I'm really flipping through my Google photos on the cloud. Uh, are you with me? But I swear someday I'm going to print out all those pictures, okay? <laughs> now, if you have a graduating senior, that day has come. You have been going through the photos, shedding some tears, reflecting on the life that they've lived, breathing in the anticipation of the anointing that God has placed on their life. The excitement is palpable, isn't it? As I looked through some of the pictures of our seniors, I really thought about David's life. What if we were to see the scrapbook of David's life? Imagine flipping through those photos. Oh, that's when David got anointed to be king. I mean, he was just a kid, but that prophet Samuel, I mean, everything else he said had come true. There's the slingshot. That's the slingshot he took down Goliath. Everyone was so scared, but David never wavered in his faith. There's the picture of him playing the harp for King Saul. David is really emotional, but man, he's so talented. There is the picture of him holding that piece of Saul's garment. I can't believe all the restraint he held. I mean, Saul had been chasing him for, what, 10, 15 years trying to kill him? He could have got him, but he didn't. Isn't that amazing? Okay, I just took this one. This one is maybe my favorite. This is him being anointed to be king at Hebron. It's not everything yet, but he made it to be king. It's where we found ourselves through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel as we've been on this journey through David's life. Last week, Rebecca did an amazing job walking us through what it is to trust God moment by moment. And David's life marks that so well. He trusted God up until this point, moment by moment. In chapter 5, we're going to be in, uh, if you want to turn there, you can turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 5, 
verse 1. I'm going to ask that you hold your finger there, though, okay? And we're going we're gonna to flip also to 1 Chronicles 12. Scripture is such a beautiful tapestry, and so sometimes if you look at Scripture through the lens you see, you see a piece of it, but you don't see the fullness of a situation. So I want to make sure that I've given you the fullness of the scripture. Now, here's where we are. Chapter 4 ends, um, David is king of Judah. Ishbosheth has been the king of Israel. Ishbosheth was Saul, King Saul's son that stepped into that position. Ishbosheth has been murdered. And the traitor that murdered him did it to gain favor with David. He goes to David, tells him what's happened. David is not impressed, and this traitor pays with his life. David didn't play those games. We're entering into what I like to call the what's next chapter. This chapter has so much going on. But First Chronicles is going to set the scene for us as we step into it. Um, I'm going to start in verse 23. Here we go. First Chronicles 12, 23. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. From Judah, carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. From Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100. Down to verse 29, from Benjamin, Saul's tribe, 3,000, most of whom had remained loyal to Saul's house until then. This goes on through all 12 tribes. Let's skip down to verse 38. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all of Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were of one mind to make David king. The men spent three days there with David, eating and drinking, for their families had supplied provisions for them. Also, their neighbors from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, olive oil, cattle, and sheep, for there was joy in Israel. A divided kingdom has now become a united kingdom. That is worth a celebration. This is what we're stepping into in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Let's go there. Before we do that, bow your heads with me. Let's just go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, be glorified in every word that I speak. Father God, let them see you and what you have for them today. Be honored in everything. We love you and praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, starts this way. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, you, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will be a leader over Israel. Okay, the representatives have come together and now collectively they're, they're giving the reasons why they're deciding to make David king. So they start with, you're an Israelite. You are our bone and our flesh. Hey, despite the beef between you and King Saul and what's gone down with Ishbosheth, 
you are an Israelite. You are a rightful person to step into the king, kingship. The second thing is, is they recognize that King David was a great military leader. He had led them on their military campaigns. They were recognizing the leadership skills that David had. The most important one is this third one. We as parents like this one. Because God said so. Right? Because God said so. See, it's great that David is of the right heritage. It is great that David has shown his leadership. But the truth is, is that because God said so was enough. It was enough for them to have just done it in the first place. What God says about you is more important than what anyone else says about you. Amen. You have to follow him and let him work out the details. Verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord in Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. This is David's third anointing. Remember, he was anointed as a shepherd boy, by Samuel. He was anointed in Hebron to be king over Judah, and now he has been anointed to the full position that God has had for him. Aren't you so grateful for little stops along the way where you got spo life spoken over you? It is so important that we speak life over our kids, where we speak anointing over our kids and then it is powerful in the messy middle. As we are walking with the Lord, it is really important that we stop and we take ownership and we recognize where we have been and where God has brought us as we look forward. Just being in the process doesn't mean that it's not worth celebrating, right? Verse four, David was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned for 33 years over all Israel and Judah. David is 37 years old when he steps in to the fullness of what God had for him. How many of you is that encouragement to you? is maybe you've convinced yourself that you, you're not there yet. Well, that's okay. There's a process. In 37 years, David has been a shepherd, a conquering hero, a, a musician, a fugitive, a protector, a military leader, and a partial king. But before all of that, before he ever took his first breath, God had this plan for him. See, God knows every hair on your head. He knows the plans he has for you. We see this beautiful life lived by King David up till now as he has continued to be a man after God's heart. David was anointed, but the anointing is not just something for biblical kings. It's something for you and me as well. You have an anointing on your life. You know, some people joke that they're going to sneak into heaven. You're not going to sneak into heaven, right? They are going to rejoice over you walking in your calling, walking in your anointing, and following after Jesus. 
First Corinthians 1, 22, 21 through 22 says this, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is yet to come. Isn't that good news? The anointing is about the calling. It's a divine appointing. It is about being set apart by the one who created you to do what he called you to do. And the thing is, is the anointing isn't just about taking marching orders, right? It's not about being some, some soldiers, right? God's plan for our life is for our good. It's for our benefit. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. We get so caught up in what is right here and right now, but God sees what we don't. Verse 6 says this. I, I want you to see how amazing what God leads us to, okay? I'm glad that I shared the banquet with you because, man, we get into the thick of it real quick. See, David gets the anointing to be king, and then he's like, let's roll. Let's do the things, right? So verse 6 says, Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, and they said to David, You shall not come in here, but even those who are blind and those who limp will turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. This is Jerusalem. And David said on that day, whoever strikes the Jebusites is to reach those who limp and those who are blind, who are hated by David's soul, though through the water tunnel. For that reason, they say, people who are blind and people who limp shall not come into the house. So David lived in the stronghold and called in the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. David became greater and greater for the Lord God of armies was with him. There is so much going on in here, okay? You guys have your napkins on? Okay, here we go. Um, when we step into this, I love that the Jebusites think that David cannot come in here. So there's a couple of things that I want to make sure you're aware of. First of all, when the scripture is talking about how even the lame and the blind, it, it goes through all of that, it would be easy to think, wow, they really hated disabled people, right? That's not what's happening here. What has happened is the Jebusites have put around the perimeter blind, lame, people who fall into that category. It was almost a superstition, like don't you mess with these weaker people. If you mess with them, this will happen to you, right? So it was a bit of a warning. And the Jebusites have been in this area all the way back to before the Tower of Babel, all the way back to G Genesis 10, 14, 15. You see all of those things, all of those verses where they're mentioned. Um, they're a tribe of Amorite. And so you see the Jebusites, they're arrogant about their hold on this land. They genuinely think David doesn't have a chance. But here's what's funny, is these verses literally say 
The Jebusites said David cannot come in here. And then it says David captured the stronghold and then he set up shop. Like, there's not this big, mighty battle. The Jebusites aren't given their moment in history, right, with David. It's like, and then we did the things God called us to do and went on, right? Here at Life Church, we see there's a lot of preciousness in names. There's a lot of, of revelation that comes in what somebody has been named. There's a life and an identity that's been spoken over people. That's why we go over what names mean at baby dedications, at baptisms, and you're gonna hear a little bit about that when we bring up our seniors that are graduating. But the name Jebusite, as I was preparing for this message, I just wanna share with you what it means. Jebusite means to trod down with the feet, to trample. One definition said to put your foot down on the neck. Now, it would be easy for the Jebusites to look at their name and puff out their chest and be like, yeah, we're big and bad, right? Except, I hope that phrase, that description, triggers your mind to think back in Genesis. See, there was another one who thought they were big and bad. There was another one who thought they had a stronghold, that they had destroyed what God loved. But this is the curse that was spoken by God over the serpent. Genesis 3:15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Do you see the beauty of this moment? What the Jebusites thought they had control over. They thought in their strength they were holding on to God was just letting them keep it safe until he was going to do the work. See, again, this area is Jerusalem. What happened in Jerusalem? Our Savior defeated death once and for all. Isn't that amazing? There's this beautiful picture where we have a moment where we get to focus on the anointing and the crushing the battle through the cross, and the victory of a risen Savior. The truth is, the anointing isn't cheap. It costs Jesus' life. It will cost you to sacrifice your immediate pleasure. You will have to lay down your human perspective, and you will have to trust that God's perspective is eternal. It may mean that you walk through uncomfortable or even painful moments. But the truth is, isn't that life? Aren't you going to walk through tough stuff in your life anyways? But to be in the center of God's will and to trust his calling on your life? Man, that's, that's so powerful. And not only, you know, I find what is amazing is that when you allow God to walk, to work through your life, it's not just about impacting your life, but it's all part of the greater work that God is doing through Christ to redeem humanity and offer salvation. You guys, this world is hurt, and, they have, and it has been ravaged by the effects of sin. We need a Savior. 
David's life has not been easy. He has had to have enduring faith. He has had to be obedient when it was treacherous. He has been attacked. He has been betrayed. But he has found victory in the favor of God. That's not just David's story. That's our story. That's your story. The anointing wasn't just for David. It's for us as believers. Do you have your heart set on experiencing the fullness of what God has for you? Is your heart's desire one day to step into heaven and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or are you frustrated and bitter because you see others getting what you think you deserve? They're stepping into positions you think you should have gotten. They step into wealth you think should be in your pocket. They have relationships that you think you should have. David had to lay all of that down to trust the Lord, to say it was enough of a promise that God said so. Do you need a reminder to be obedient to the word of God? Like, like have you been walking through this and you maybe, maybe took your eye off of the fact that God has a plan for you just because we get busy with life? Do you need a reminder to be obedient to the word of God? This is it. Do you need a reminder? Do you need encouragement that you can keep going? Maybe it's been hard to follow the Lord. Maybe you've been through some tough things. Do you need encouragement to keep you going? This is it. Be encouraged. Don't stop following him. Do you need wisdom to help you lead well? in the areas that you've been called to, I wish I could say this is it. I wish I could just hand that wisdom out, but here's the truth. Wisdom is only received through daily seeking the Lord. It can't be given to you. But the truth is, if you answered yes to wanting the fullness of what God has for you, if you answered yes, that you do long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, then the thing is, the wisdom, it is worth going after. And don't settle for any counterfeits. Don't settle for anything less than what God has for you. We ended in verse 10, as David grew greater and greater. Well, hey, we have a few more verses to go through. We have uh, verses 11 through 16. I brought the wrong version of the Bible that I had prepared, so I'll be reading from the screen. So it says in verse 11, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David, along with cedar laws and carpenters and stone maces, and they built a palace for David. Now Hiram, he was a friend to David. He was also a friend to Solomon, to King Solomon. And so, uh, so he's from this place, Tyre. It was, it's an island that ended up being destroyed by Alexander the Great. Jesus talked about that. It's more bearable. It'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the Day of Judgment than you when he talks about these other cities, Capernaum, so on and so forth. 
So then he sends those in envoys, and it's the couple reasons that David really needs that. He needs the, the resources and materials. He also needs help from outside because the, the carpenters and the, the, the laborers, the, the workforce has been depleted because they've been in two wars, and they've been in other battles. So they've been at war with the Philistines, and they've been in a, war, in a civil war. So Hiram really is called to be a friend in the nation of Israel and send those envoys and those skilled laborers. Now in verse 12 it says, Then David knew, after he had been given those things and a palace had been built, he says, Then he knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. That's important. Remember, it wasn't for David's sake he was made king. His anointing or his calling wasn't for him, but it was for what? It was for God's people. Amen, everybody? Next verse. It says, After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more and more sons and daughters were born to him. So this is something David shouldn't have done. He shouldn't have multiplied himself wives or concubines who knows we need I, I need one wife we all need one one two's too many right amen everybody I don't hear any amens that's weird <laughs> one is enough <laughs> one is enough I'm glad my wife's not in here but uh so here it says that David took more and more concubines and wives so this is the only time, it's worth noting, this is the only time throughout all of Scripture where concubines are put before wives, listed. So I think that's the Holy Spirit showing us that David had some things out of order. Because every time it's listed, it's wives and concubines. David, David had, had some, some mess-ups here. And it says that more and more sons and daughters were born to him now, we know of 19 sons that were born to David and one daughter, but there were, more, there were more kids. I don't know how he could have fathered that many. And really, this is a warning to all of us. It's a warning to us because David, remember, he says he knew that the Lord had established him as king for the sake of the people of Israel. And it's a warning because we get in this place where we believe when we're doing well, when we're succeeding, when we're making a lot of money, everything's going right. When we're in our anointing or in our calling, we can decide to make decisions that are outside of God's perfect will. And we step into his permissive will. And that's what David did. He was in his permissive will. God allowed it to happen. God is a God that lets us make decisions. You know, he's not a puppet master up there. He sees the whole picture outside of time and space. So he knows that this is going to happen. So more and more sons and daughters were born to him. But really, how many, how many of us have stepped into our calling or into our anointing and we've gotten arrogant and made de decisions we shouldn't have made? Think about the leaders in the past 10 years, Christian leaders, pastors, Ministry leaders, even the 80s and 90s, who made decisions they shouldn't have made because they got arrogant. We can be walking in God's will, walking in blessing, but begin to make, make a justification for decisions that we make. Moving on, let's go to uh, Romans. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. It's important. 
but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed with each of you. The sober judgment is knowing that we're a sinner and we need a Savior. Because it's in accordance with the faith that's been given to us, the faith given by the Holy Spirit, that we should accept Jesus as our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. With sober judgment, we're just people. Moving on to the next verse, please. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So we shouldn't compare gifts because there's different gifts that were given, different functions in the body. Moving on. So in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member also belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that's been given to each of us. And then it says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And then he lists other various gifts that are given. So we're not to compare our gifts. We're not to say my gift is greater than yours or yours is greater than mine. Because when we do that, we end up being in this comparison trap. And it's a great setup for the following verse in verse 14. It says, and these are the names of the children that were born to him, speaking of David. There, Shemaiah, Shoab, Nathan, Solomon, Isbar, Ishua, Nepleg, Jephthah, Ishlamach, I don't know, that threw me off. Hard name, hard name, hard name. Okay? Like a Hoosier, Hoosier. You know why they call us Hoosiers? They say, who's there? Who's there? Hoosier? Who's there? And they come to the door. Actually, there's a belief that uh, the name Hoosier originated from a famous black pastor named Harry Hoosier that preached, and this is some history that's been pushed aside, that he was a minister of the gospel. We actually visited Church of the Highlands of Birmingham, Alabama, and what they told us, we said we're from Indiana, and they said, Oh, you're Harry Hoosier's legacy. We said, who's Harry Hoosier? And they told us the history of Harry Hoosier, the minister of the gospel. And that history's been lost, but his legacy hasn't. And so that's, that speaks of other legacy that's here. If we could put those uh, last verse, back, or the uh, verse 15 back up. So lots of these sons and daughters... Go back to, I'm sorry, go back to uh, Solomon and Nathan, verse 14. Um, these sons and daughters, we don't know what all happened to them, but David ended up being in God's permissive will, and when he was in God's permissive will, he ended up making mistakes because he, he said, well, I can, I can do this, I can do that because I'm king. And he really hurt himself because his, some of his sons killed his other sons. One of his sons actually rapes his half-sister, he has all these children. How is he supposed to discipline them? How is he supposed to parent them? He was meant to have one wife, but he decided to have many. And concubines on top of that. And you can imagine the, the comparison that there would have been between sons and daughters. It's interesting to note that these, these two sons, Nathan and Solomon, were born from the same mom. But only one was king. Now it's possible that Nathan died before he could have been made king. But that wasn't Nathan's calling. You see, 
Nathan's calling was greater than Solomon's because Solomon, he was made king, but Nathan would be, the, he was, one of his descendants was Mary who would bear Jesus. You see, his legacy was greater than Solomon's. He was anointed to be king, but he was anointed to be father. He was anointed to be a dad. And Solomon, his, his name is through, through Joseph. He's listed as a descendant of Joseph, but, but his, his flesh and blood isn't, isn't from the Messiah, but Nathan's is. Hiram was a king. David was king. Solomon was king, but Nathan was a father. He was called to be a dad. And that's what he did. And his impact was greater than you think. So don't compare your anointing. Don't compare your calling with one another because there may be something that you don't see because God sees this picture from inside out. And because he sees the picture from inside out, we should know and believe that he is something greater. We want to be in his perfect will, not his permissive will. Amen? And one other thing that, about King David. I've heard it said that this is a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Now, I couldn't find this quote online, but like I said, lots of our history, I believe, has been lost or shunned by Google or, or Yahoo. But he said, the, the person that told me this is in their late 70s, told me this a year ago. They said, nine out of ten people can handle failure but only one out of 10 can handle success. It's Benjamin Franklin. And so we want to make sure we're in God's perfect will. We don't think of ourselves higher than we ought, and we don't compare our anointing or our gifts with one another. Because God has something greater. God has something better. Amen, everybody? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.